Hi, I'm Bastian Grimm, and this is SEO in 2024. Bastian, what's your number one SEO tip for 2024? I think people kind of need to get familiarized with large language models, I guess, as the big push towards a lot of things. AI, um, this is like one of the foundational techniques. And I think it's very important for us as marketers to understand how they work, what capabilities they have, but also what limitations there are to kind of just, you know, utilize them in the best possible way. And I mean, ultimately become a better or more efficient marketer. Superb. Okay, well, let's start with those two things um, in terms of how they work and limitations. So how would you summarize the way that large language models actually work? I mean, I guess the, the, the most simple way to, to, to phrase it is that essentially it's a huge amount of data kind of put in a specific type of database, you could probably say. And, you know, with that data, you can basically fulfill certain types of tasks, right? So I think as of now, I suppose most marketers kind of came in contact with uh, ChatGPT from, from OpenAI, right? And I mean, essentially ChatGPT is an interface, if you so will, for, you know, a large language model that OpenAI, they have multiple ones, but like a large language model that, that OpenAI is basically providing. And essentially, I think it's pretty important to understand that, for example, you know, these models they don't write anything, but essentially what they do is they have training data and based on the training data, they predict likelihood of something that's supposed to happen next. And this is how they, for example, generate text. So if you kind of task the model through uh, what we call prompting, right? So formulating something against uh, this, this interface, then basically it's no like creative magic happening there. And then there's some like you know, magically a new piece of text appearing, but essentially it's data that has been ingested in, in the previous training process. And then based on the training data, those models are creating kind of a new output. Um, I guess that is pretty much the easiest way to describe it. And in terms of limitations, what are they good for? What should they be used for? And what shouldn't they be used for? I think right now, at least, and this is, this is I guess, the the biggest challenge that we are currently facing. There's a whole lot of new tech around AI in general, but also on like the specifically like the generative AI side, and it's it's moving extremely fast. So the biggest issue is that a lot of the stuff that's currently being shown off is, you know, predominantly, I would say like in a in a beta state, but most of it is not really production ready, right? And the reason why I'm saying this is like people get like and I'm, you know, I conclude myself into that. Like, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the topic. And I think there's a lot of gains already right now. I'm going to get to, like, what is, what is that in a second? But, like, on the other hand, I think I just, like, there's a, you know, a bit of a word of caution, if you so will. Like, things are changing fast. And the stuff that's currently there has limitations as in, like, you know, when you look at, from a practical example, like, you, you have, you want to task the model to create a piece of text around, let's say, the Audi A3, just for demonstration purposes. And the Audi A3 has different features in different countries. So in Germany, it might have, you know, different sizes or it might come with a different default package than what it does in, in, in the UK or, you know, in France or anywhere else. So if you just like task the model to reduce a piece of content around that, then what you might end up with is like mixed facts. So like dimensions might be wrong or, you know, the default pricing is wrong or these types of things. So it's extremely important to fact check um, and, and 
kind of double check and triple check the output. So I think this is the current limitation. It can be used for research. It can be used for drafting things, for example. But like, it's by no means meant to like, okay, let's you know produce it and throw it out without without double checking. I think this is the the biggest thing right now, and also like one of the bigger misconceptions. Like, oh yeah, there's now ChatGPT or you know any other model. There's you know there's Jasper and and a bunch of others. But if you ensure that your the quality of your prompts are as as high as possible, surely that means that you don't have to fact check as much. I mean, you can increase the quality, but it, again, like what happens is it still happens that because the model is predicting things, you know, and there is occasions where predictions go wrong, and there's also occasions where, let's say, um, so there's a great example that I just put in a deck for another presentation on like the Google. Uh, search generative experience, which is essentially also like their, their AI snippet, right, that they put on top of the search results. So you, I queried the thing and asked like, for what are, like, and it was around tech companies, so how many unicorns are there in France? And it gave me back like 27, right? Then I did a similar, but just different prompt, and it turned out like 36. And for the next time it was 27. So this is like this, you know, we, we kind of call that hallucination because the issue is the model doesn't know. Like there is no precise date given and there is no, you know, precise data source that actually says that that is the case. So it's like trying to guesstimate, if you so will, what the right answer could be. But I mean, that is a big danger. It's kind of a soft example, if you so will. But I mean, clearly there's, there's research where people rely on information, especially from like big, you know, companies such as Google to be accurate. So I'm like, you know, it's just like being mindful and cautious about not blindly, blindly trusting that info, I think is probably currently my biggest, well, I don't say warning, but on the other hand, like if we turn it around, because you were asking, you know, what is, what should they be used for? I think they're fantastic to kind of speed up certain types of processes and certain types of like um, stuff that you're doing on your day to day. So let's say research, right? Where before you would have like needed to go like to 10, 20, 30 different sources, you could do part of that research using uh, using a large language model. And I mean, still you have to check it, but you would also need to check your 20 sources. So like in the in that regard, you're just becoming faster or or more efficient. Or you can use it for like, for example, we have a, like a huge client and like they do co- corporate trainings um, like in within the organization. And they, they previously had to do like recordings in person, in a studio, that's expensive, it takes time, that person need to be there, et cetera. So they basically kind of done this with an AI avatar. So they recorded the speaker once and they recorded the voice that so had voice samples from, from previous trainings. And now they only need to produce scripts. And um, basically then the AI avatar does, it's going to be the, in, in the video. And then it's even cooler because they're like a multilingual organization. And with that, they can basically also scale that because, you know, you just use a different avatar um, or, you know, different voiceover. And then you have it in, in Spain and French and whatnot. And the cool thing is obviously because some people are not as fluent in English, you know, as others, that also helps like their experience to be like included and onboarded even better. So I think there's a, a lot of things that are not necessarily only focusing on SEO, but just like where you have, I think already right now, massive gains in terms of, you know, efficiency or even satisfaction in this regard. So when I cut you off a moment, moment ago, you just mentioned the tool Jasper. Can using a tool like Jasper be more effective than using ChatGPT natively? I mean, it depends, unfortunately, similar to SEO, <laughs> our favorite answer, right? But I think um, it, it depends a bit on the use case, right? Because um, each of those large language models, and there's different, uh, different ones as well. There's another one uh, that's predominantly strong in the, in the kind of German region called Neuroflash. And I think the reason why I'm mentioning different ones is that because they all have 
different training and they had different types of feedback mechanisms. So for certain types of tasks, they're just better suited than others. But I think what you see oftentimes is specific use cases on specific models are currently at least better than, and this, I think, similar approach to Google, right? They, um, they really something that's called MedPalm, which is a large language model specifically for pharmaceutical um, and treatment and these types of information, just because, you know, there's a higher accuracy specifically for that, but they only have been trained for pharmaceutical kind of content. They just, they, they couldn't give you an answer on like, you know, I don't know, like how, what is the best chess strategy or these types of things. So I think specific models for specific things does make sense. Uh, on the other hand, currently, I wouldn't say like misuse, but like we're currently using large language models for a lot of things that are not meant for. And I think this is also a trend that we're probably going to be seeing in the future, like that, you know, those models might rely on third-party tools like through APIs or a different type of architecture in a way that they can then pull data from other sources, like if they're not confident enough to properly answer a question so they can like pull in that data and then reply based on that, right? So that this is also, I guess, a, a trend. But I think to answer your question fully, like there's a ton of like smaller-ish tools right now. And I think this is mainly because they are trying to solve certain specific tasks. I think this is great. Like if you can, as an SEO, especially if you're like more on the let's say freelance or consulting side, like if you can use those tools right now without having to spend tons of time or money or both on implementation, I think this is a massive efficiency gain. So I think for that, it's great. But on the other hand, I would be very mindful about the fact that I think there's a high chance that like 80% of those like special interest tools are probably going to die in the next like 18, 24 months again and just will be absorbed by, by the bigger models. So I think it's a bit of like this you know, you need to weigh the pros and cons on that um, cautiously. So are there any particular SEO tasks that you would definitely use LLMs for at the moment? I mean, for instance, uh, the formation of better descriptions or page titles or um, other types of content? Yeah, I think where it really can help already is is the things you mentioned when it comes down to scale. I mean, I probably still, still like have someone in a like a more you know, manual way have to like handcraft like, you know, I don't know, the meta description for the homepage or the meta description template for a certain specific type. But, you know, if you talk, talk about like thousands or, or even millions of pages, then maybe the, the next best thing after templating it would be to use a LLM and, and dump in like, you know, a URL and you can even scrape that now through like a ChatGPT plugin, for example. And then it's like going to pull the data and give me a description with a certain limitation. So I think on content generation at least for like suggestions at scale it's 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 great and i mean also for like kind of more like the lightweight things to consume i think this can also work so like a you know an article about a certain island in greece might be relatively easy to do versus if you have something that's very specific like um i don't know like a, a guideline for for xyz then that that might be harder because it's not it's not common knowledge in a way so you know, I, I think for these types of tasks um, and on all things, you know, classification especially is a great thing. So if we like, if we, you need a, you know, a new hierarchy for internal linking, for example, is you can like map out and classify uh, pages through an LLM because just essentially it's, it's much more efficient and can obviously you know, ingest much more data than you would ever be able to do manually. So I think from an SEO standpoint, there's a bunch of things there. I think it's getting much more crazy in the coming years. I think that is status for sure, because from a variety of standpoints, right? So like Google with like their, I mentioned the, the SGE snippet on top. So that's obviously going to change search results quite significantly, not only because there's something pushed on top that then might have an impact on, I don't know, like measurement, for example, or, you know, maybe then we kind of need to much more consider like how do we actually ensure that 
our clients or um, you know our brands appear actually in 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 the snippets. So maybe this kind of is that direction. But also on the tooling side, I would imagine there is going to be huge advancements because the like you know running your own LLM is no rocket science anymore. And you know Google with Vertex and and some others. Um, have relatively simple, like ready-made solutions already there. So if we kind of give that a bit more time, I think a lot of the tool providers will somewhat, I mean, probably some do not talk about it and already do that, but like some will uh, much more towards and move more towards that direction. I'm, I'm, I'm entirely sure about that because it just like is a massive, you know, gain in terms of knowledge to query and these types of things. So you've talked about how LLMs tend to work in a predictive manner. Has the way, or will the way that um, they work uh, change much, or is it likely to change much over the coming few years? And what do SEOs need to do to prepare themselves for how LLMs are likely to change? Yeah, I think there's no one answer to that, sadly. But <laughs> I would imagine, I would imagine, I mean, most of the um, LLMs right now are transformer-based. So that's the architecture um, that that's being the kind of underlying foundational technology, if you so will. And they are great for, for what we're currently using them for, but they also have limitations, right? So um, for example, to kind of get more knowledge into an LLM, you obviously need more training data. So that means the model is growing in size. And that, and again, means that you need more hardware because t like from a tech standpoint, what's currently happening, if you query an LLM that's transformer-based, you need to go through the entire database. If you so will, it's not a database, but it, you, you get what I'm saying. So through the entire model. And that is obviously, that doesn't scale endlessly. I mean, it does scale to the extent that you can throw even more hardware and more hardware. I guess you have probably seen the insane numbers that uh, NVIDIA realized over the last months and like the uh, stock market reaction to it, which is insane. But I mean, it can't scale endlessly, right? And therefore, I think we will be seeing different approaches. And there are current projects that are kind of researching in, into different directions. So from an implementation standpoint, from a, from an organization standpoint, I think what you need to do is like build this kind of middleware. So like even if you're currently in the in the position, say, well, I can use an LM for my SEO, which is fantastic. So you could like maybe you know take all your knowledge, all your your content, and whatnot, put it in an LM and then run certain type of models on your own LLM. That's great. But I think I would be mindful about the fact that the LLM model itself might change. So if you build kind of a middleware, uh, you know, API type of layer. Then moving forward, it might be much easier for you to say like, well, this was great, but like in, in, in a year's time, we're going to rely on this new model. So we just need to move over the data, um, but then we can instantly benefit from the work that we have done now as well. So I think it's just like the in hindsight that these models might change. I don't have an answer to like how that looks like in practice, because I'm also just mainly from a practitioner standpoint and not from a researcher standpoint, but I think that sounds like a logical approach. And that's what we're seeing a lot with large organizations that kind of want, want to reap the benefits right now, because there's fantastic gains, right? So you can make, you know, customer service more efficient. You can like make knowledge sharing internally much more efficient if you kind of would be able to kind of collect all your knowledge from the different sources, put it into like uh, these types of models. That's great. And I don't think it's the right approach to kind of sit on it and only do it in two years time when we know a bit better. So I think like this, this kind of hybrid approach but being prepared to to shift it over is is actually a good good way to do it. And one thing that LLMs can certainly help with at the moment is education. Uh, so, how do SEOs need to use LLMs right now to actually enhance their knowledge to ensure that what they know is up to date? I mean, I think the at least right now the big um, and you mentioned that earlier as well. Like, I think the the, the big difference is prompting. So, like, how do you actually interact with 
any of those LLMs. And that's going to change as well because we're kind of moving towards like a more multi-model world where we not only like kind of, you know, uh, have the ability to kind of, you know, prompt using a text, but also combine different types of inputs. So that could be, um, I mean, Bart from Google has first, it kind of started now, you allow you to upload a photo. You say like, what's on this? And then it gives you, uh, you know, a description of the photo. So it's like a combination of lens and Bart, if you so as I suppose. Like we will be seeing that much more like with true multimodality, like, you know, gestures and these types of things. So I think understanding now how you can prompt the model and like ensure that you get out what you want to get out. Keeping in mind what I was saying, like, you know, there is certain limitations such as hallucination, such as like, okay, I can use maybe a plugin to get like external data in or can do certain calculations. So I think even if you're not using it in practice, I would strongly recommend to at least give it a, give it a play. Um, also, like, don't forget about, you know, code interpreter. I mean, we as SEOs have, and that's part of ChatGPT Plus, right? But like, we as SEOs obviously do a ton of like analysis and, and kind of just, you know, looking at numbers and then trying to figure out what's happening. And I think if you're sitting on data and especially like, you know, in this case, from an agency perspective, if you look at a, a new website that you're not familiar with and you're seeing like the ups and downs and certain dips, and then you can overlay that with different types of data sources. And you can just essentially ask a model like this to kind of give you ideas of what might have happened. I think this is just like a really cool way to kind of use it as a research assistant. Uh, I guess that's, that's what we could call it. And just kind of figure out what comes before you do it maybe yourself to double check. But I think, again, that's like, it's this efficiency um, and, and kind of gain that you're having from relying on it. Well, not necessarily relying, but at least like utilizing it to, you know, where it can help. Yeah, it's great advice. Um, just experiment. Because, I mean, I remember um, yeah. getting into SEO. I'm, I'm so glad that I was just uh, played about initially with um, tools like Dreamweaver just to understand mm -hmm. code. Uh, the early days of WordPress just to understand basic PHP and plugins as well. And because I did that tinkering, um, I was much more yeah. comfortable what made the change and what didn't. And obviously you're advocating a similar kind of thing here for AI. Yeah. For, uh, yeah. No, it just helps, right? It just helps to understand like, things that are happening, even though, I mean, it's probably hard to say, like, you understand how AI really works, because I guess even uh, engineers don't, uh, in a way, because it's essentially machine kind of reiterating and, and even kind of learning by themselves. But I guess, like, just generally how you could utilize it, uh, play with it, figure it out. I think that that is, I mean, it always has been part of SEO, at least from, like, similar to you, like, when I started out, that was the same. And I think this this has never really changed. Like if you're not n naturally curious about things, I guess you could say, then you will have a, a very, a very hard time. So yeah, I think that this is probably even more true for the future. If an SEO is struggling for time, what should they stop doing right now so they can spend more time doing what you suggest in 2024? I think honestly, I would um, worry less about all things ranking factors and these types of things. Like it's just like people spend so much time on trying to figure out isolated tiny things i think in the grand scheme of things you know changing a title here or changing a meta description there just to kind of pick on random random samples there it's just not going to make i mean maybe specifically for that page it does make a difference but in the grand scheme of things it's just minor so i would just really move away from the small nitty-gritty stuff um, you know don't buy the cheap links don't buy the cheap content uh, these types of things i see still so many people doing that and i just like think it's just a massive waste of time and money so like Rather zoom out, try to understand, you know, what is, you know, what is Google actually wanting to rank? Because I think that is a big, the big question also for the, for the future, right? So if you 
have, and I think this is going to be a very, how you say, like a very hard realization for some. Like if you look at the current Google SG implementation, there's with a snippet on top, I think it's becoming much harder to acquire uh, certain types of organic traffic. And a lot of people rely on the fact that they, you know, in the past have been just like churning out generic content, but it's essentially, that's commodity knowledge. So for Google, there's no reason if you write an article, like just re you know, kind of praising something that has been out there like a hundred thousand times, you're not going to rank. Like they will just kind of do that themselves and keep the traffic. And then, so you need to figure out a shift, how to become, I guess, much more expert, much more verse in a certain topic moving forward. Because just like the good old, like, well, you know, here's like how you do X, Y, Z. I don't think it's going to cut it in 2024. Bastian Grimm is CEO at Peak Ace AG, and you can find him over at peakace.agency. Bastian, thanks so much for being part of SEO in 2024. Thank you very much, David. I've been your host, David Bain. Get your copy of SEO in 2024, the book over at seoin2024.com.